0: Mark chapter 2 this morning, and this morning we want to look at another aspect of Jesus, the suffering servant. And we're looking at scandal and the servant. And this will be the first part. Uh, Lord willing, we'll look at part 2 next week. But uh, we're really entering into a very important portion of the Lord's earthly ministry. Uh, Jesus is still in the city of Capernaum. He could say he's achieved the status of celebrity in that town. Everywhere he goes, the people flock to him to witness his miracles, to hear his message. And uh, in this particular passage, we'll be looking at verses 13 through 17. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, and the people of Capernaum are flocking around him again to hear what he has to say, as well as to see what he has he will do. Uh, on the one level, the ministry of Jesus is doing very well. Uh, the common man is really excited about following Jesus as he ministers to them. But conflict is beginning to develop between the Lord and the religious leaders. Uh, They were already offended by his actions in verses 5 through 12. And in these verses, or in those verses, Jesus made his identity as God in the flesh very clear. And Jewish leaders were now watching Jesus. They were trying to find some reason to attack his ministry. They were looking for fault, and they were finding, as far as they were concerned, plenty about the Lord and his work that they didn't like. I find that's interesting in the, as we live in the age that we do, with a lot of scandal that is popular in our day. Uh, you have tabloid magazines at the grocery store checkout. Uh, you, uh, they come up with some of the most bizarre uh, stories about people, especially in Hollywood and so forth, and, and in, also in politics. Even the polit- uh, politicians themselves try to come up with anything that's scandalous along with the media that they can use uh, to try to win elections and so forth. And scandals are not uh, anything that's that's new. Uh, and beginning here, continuing through Mark chapter 3 and verse 6, there'll be a series of scandals involving the Jewish religious leaders and the Lord Jesus Christ. And these will be scandals over Jesus and his relationship to sinners, uh, scandals over the Sabbath, and scandals over certain sacraments. Uh, these scandals will culminate with the Jewish leaders looking for a way to put Jesus to death. And so we're looking here at this particular passage, and the focus will be on the scandal that deals with sinners. And uh, we'll look at some other aspects in the weeks ahead. I think there's much in these verses for us as God's people, and for those who may be lost as well. The Lord uh, can speak to our hearts, I trust, each one of us this morning, as we look at these verses together. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity once again to open the Word of God. And as we've studied through this uh, gospel according to Mark, uh, the events that took place in the Lord's life and how that uh, many people came to, to him and followed him, Many of them just wanted to see a a spectacle or a miracle, but uh, many of them truly did follow you. And we thank you, Lord, that we can can see the lessons that can be applied to our lives even through this uh, passage this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts by the God, the Holy Spirit, and use this to influence us for living for you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. First of all, we're going to see Jesus and the publican. I did not say Republican, okay? I said the publican. In verse 14, uh, we notice here it says, And he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Uh, This Levi here, uh, we're going to look at him for a moment here. Levi the man, first of all. As Jesus is walking along the shores of Galilee, he passes a man by the name of Levi who was working uh, re- really kind of at a booth uh, where taxes were being collected, and uh, I don't doubt that some people tried to take the long route around that, but uh, uh, since Capernaum was uh, on the caravan route between east and west, a lot of trade traffic passed through the town and taxes were collected on everything Uh, that came through the town. Taxes would also be levied against the fish that were caught in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Levi was probably collecting taxes from Peter and James and John and Andrew for the fish that they had caught. And this Levi, uh, also known to us as Matthew. Uh, Levi was a tax collector. He worked for the Roman government. He collected taxes for the empire. The Romans came up with a tax quota for each province in the the empire. They allowed their nobles to bid on the contracts for the collecting of taxes in each area. Uh, They usually hired local people to collect the taxes. And as long as they met their quota, Rome didn't care how much more they collected. If they wanted to collect a little extra, uh, that was up to them. So as a result, these tax collectors became very rich. You can remember the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was such a tax collector and how he overcharged people. And so most of them did. And they paid Rome what they were expected to pay, and they kept the difference for themselves. Uh, So publicans, uh, like Levi, were notoriously dishonest. In ancient Rome, there was actually a monument erected to honor one honest tax collector. Uh, Because Levi was a tax collector for Rome, he was probably one of the most despised people in Israel. He was viewed as a traitor to his people uh, and to his nation. And as a tax collector, he would have been isolated from the community. Uh, He would not have been allowed to go to the temple uh, or the synagogues. He was really a social outcast. Uh, Who probably could only socialize with other tax collectors and rank sinners. He was a hated man. I would imagine that Levi was also a disappointment to his parents. Uh, He was from the tribe of Levi. Uh, He would have been raised to serve in the temple. Or he would have been trained in the scriptures to be a scribe. I'm I'm sure that Levi's parents had a, expectations for their son. They hoped he would follow in his father's footsteps and he would be a religious man. But instead, he became a traitor. He turned his back on his family and his nation and his God. So the man we're introduced to this uh, to us here is considered a wicked man. He's defiled, he's despised, he's disillusioned, and he's even a disappointment. In other words, Levi doesn't have anything to commend himself to the Lord. Uh, His is a wrecked and ruined life. But notice, secondly, Levi and the Master. As Jesus comes by, he issues a very simple command to Levi. Two words, follow me. And those words are in the present tense. It's a command. Literally, you be following me. It was a call for Levi to leave his old life behind, begin a life uh, that would be that of following Jesus. So why would Jesus have any use for a man like this? One word. And that answers that question. As the word, the same word that you would find is the reason why he could use you and me. It's the word grace. In spite of his occupation, in spite of his lifestyle, in spite of his failures and his sin, Jesus loved Levi and he called him to a new life. And he sets a good example for us. He was walking and he was looking for someone that he could be in touch with as he went through his day. And the same desire to share Jesus should mark the lives of his children. I'm glad that Jesus loves the lost. I'm glad that he calls lost sinners to come to him without regard to who they are and what they've done. I'm glad he has left the door open for whosoever will. And that he has promised to turn no one away who will come to him. Now, before we go even deeper into these verses, I think there's a few lessons that we could uh, learn here. Number one is, no one is beyond hope. I'm sure that most people in Capernaum would have given up on Levi. The good religious people of the city probably snubbed him as they passed by. They wrote him off as a lost cause. And yet Jesus knew that his life could be salvaged. He loved him in spite of his past and his problems, and he delivered Levi from the bondage of his sins and gave him a new life. No one is beyond the reach of our redeeming Lord. The second thing I think we should notice here is that Jesus knows how to reach your wayward loved ones. I don't know how many of us, but I'm sure maybe a good number of us, have someone in our family, close or distant, that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Levi's parents did not know how to reach their son. They had done the best they could in raising him, and now they were feeling hopeless to save him. They may have even given up all hope. And he was making money, and he was powerful. There's no way he was going to get. Uh, they were going to get his attention. And Jesus yet knew where he was. He knew how much how to reach Levi. And one word from the master. And Levi's life was changed forever. The Lord knows where your lost ones are this morning. And he knows what it will take to reach them. Don't give up. In his time and in his own way, he will touch them for his glory. Jesus knows how to reach your wayward loved ones. But then also Jesus sees the hidden potential in lives of the lost. You see, Jesus saw something in Levi that no one else did. This man would be given a new name after he was saved. He would be known as Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 tells us that he would be a faithful follower of Jesus. He would write a gospel and he would give his life for the Lord who saved his soul. And we need to consider where we are today because Jesus loved us. He saved us. He released us. uh, And he saw in us the hidden potential. And then one other thing that we need to notice here is that it's impossible to know what is happening in an individual's heart. I get the idea that along with all of Levi's other problems, he was disillusioned and disappointed with his life. Yeah, he was making a lot of money, and uh, he was—he was probably. But when Jesus called him, he did not hesitate. He didn't say, "Well, I'll think about it." He left everything and followed Jesus. Levi gave up more to follow Jesus than the rest of the disciples did. The others would, some of them would go back. But Levi made a clean, permanent break with his past. Apparently, God has already been working in Levi's heart before Jesus passed by that day. He probably had heard Jesus preaching. He had heard about the miracles and about the changed lives. Uh, He knew uh, that what God had done for others, God could do for him. And when Jesus came calling that day, Levi was more than ready to follow. You might wonder, are those lost family members I have, are those friends that I know that don't don't know Christ, are they ever going to get saved? You know, you've witnessed to them and you've you've given them uh a tracts and you've you've tried to be a, a good testimony before them. You might wonder, will they ever get saved? I don't know the answer to that question. But I do know that God works in people's hearts in amazing ways. And we should never give up. We should keep praying, keep witnessing, keep believing, because God is working in ways that we can't even imagine. So we find here Jesus and the publican. Secondly, we say Jesus, we see Jesus and the party. Now, it's a dinner party, okay? Uh, and it starts with P, okay? That's why I, you know, I'm not uh, saying that Jesus was a party guy, you know, not in the world's sense. But here he was invited to a dinner party. In verse 15, it says And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, Uh, many publicans, that would be Levi's house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. This verse, I think, uh, paints kind of a, a, a strange picture. Here he's invited to Levi's house for dinner. On the one hand, you have Jesus, his many followers. On the other hand, you have Levi and his friends and associates. And the Bible calls them publicans and sinners. And some of those present were other tax collectors. Uh, uh, Some of them were just called sinners. And that's a word used to refer to even the prostitutes and to those who did not observe the strict religious rules of the scribes and the Pharisees. And this dinner was attended by people that Levi knew and that he worked with. They were friends and associates, the publicans and sinners. They were the only people who would have anything to do with him. But that's about to change. Because notice with me, first of all, the purpose of the party. Levi was hosting this party as an opportunity, perhaps, to say farewell to his old life, and an opportunity even to introduce his friends and associates to Jesus. His life was changed, and he wants everyone to know about it. Uh, He wants his friends to meet Jesus. He wants them to experience the same change in their life as he himself had experienced. You know, meeting Jesus will do that for you. When he saves your soul, you want to tell other people what he's done for you. You want everyone to have what you have. So that's the purpose here. But notice the picture uh, in the party. The verse finds Jesus in a setting that few so-called good people would have been. When you think about people who were invited to that dinner, you get the idea of maybe the atmosphere. Tax collectors, sinners, you have a potential. Wherever you have sinners, you have a potential for sin. Jesus did not partake in their wicked ways. But he didn't isolate himself from sinners either. He spent time with them in an effort to win them. You know, uh, that's a little bit of a contrast to what we have here in the church. Uh, We have our building, we erect some walls, uh, we put up signs, we, uh, we sit back and you kind of wait for the lost to come in. And that's not what Jesus did. He went where the lost were. He won their confidence, and he changed their lives. Now, I have said this before. The church is not primarily for unsaved people. We don't turn away unsaved people. We preach the gospel. We, we trust that uh, people will be saved in our services, but it's not primarily for saved, uh, unsaved people. It's primarily for people who know the Lord to help them to grow and to go out the doors and be a witness in our community. But unsaved people are welcome. You see, we aren't really carrying out the Great Commission if we just say this is the only place where we're going to try to win people to Christ. We are carrying out the Great Commission when we take the gospel to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in to Jesus. And I praise the Lord that he wasn't ashamed to be associated with me. Jesus loved me like I was, and he came to me to win me to him. And I trust the Lord will help us all become more like the Lord. May he give us a heart to win lost at any cost. May he help us to go to the lost where they are and take the gospel to them and so that some may be reached for the Lord. So you have Jesus and the publican. You have Jesus and the party. Thirdly, you have Jesus and the problem. Verse 16. In verse 16 it says, And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with the publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? And we notice here some critics. You always have your critics, right? Well, Jesus had his critics as well. Not everyone was thrilled with the Lord's decision to have a dinner with this bunch of sinners. The religious leaders used this as an opportunity to attack the Lord Jesus. The scribes and Pharisees would never have spent time with the sinners like this. Oh, they had their strict observances especially of the Mosaic Law. They were also very strict in their uh, observance of oral traditions handed down by the Jews. Uh, They followed a moral code that was almost impossible to keep. There was one group of Pharisees known as the blind and bleeding Pharisees. Uh, They would wear blindfolds when they went out of their homes. Uh, They were so afraid of seeing a woman and having lust in their hearts that they would walk around in the dark. They would often fall and get injured. And these men would never been caught dead having dinner with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners. You know, it sounds like some people we may know. Some people in churches become so separated, so self-righteous, they don't often look down at their noses at lost people and even other Christians who don't live like they do. Some people forget that they are just as bad, if not worse, than the lost that are uh, were are before the Lord saved their souls. Now, do you see what the problem is? It's the same problem these people had. It's called the problem of hypocrisy. We are in trouble spiritually when we think we have reached a place where we're better or more righteous than others. So, secondly, notice the criticism. The critics tried to make matters even worse than they were. When you read here in verse 16, uh, you have the verbs, eateth and drinketh. They're in a tense that could be translated, always eating and drinking. They wanted to, to make it seem like that's all that Jesus ever did. They tried to make it sound like Jesus was a sinner as well. The scribes and Pharisees would attack Jesus for spending time with the sinners. Uh, Their criticism was really a compliment, though. You see, I thank God that Jesus is a friend of sinners. You see, as I said earlier in our song service, that Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a wine-bibber. But he was also rightly accused of being a friend of sinners. Thank God that he came and saved to save the lost. Thank God that Jesus didn't allow the criticism of a bunch of religious hypocrites to deter him from his mission. And the first time these religious men criticized the Lord, they did so in their hearts. We go back to chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Uh, you notice back there that uh, they, they did this there. Uh, in, uh, they were certain scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why did this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God only? Now they're beginning to get bold, and they are going to attack Jesus to his face. And so we have Jesus and the public and Jesus and the party, Jesus and the problem. And we come to Jesus and the pronouncement. Verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus hears their criticism. He does not allow them to go unchallenged. In fact, he makes a very bold pronouncement that will define his approach to reaching the world. Notice, first of all, Jesus and his mission. Jesus tells his critics that he's like a doctor. He's treating the sick and trying to help them to get well. What kind of doctor refuses to help sick people? Well, the scribes and the Pharisees are like a lot of religious people in our day. They're willing to sit back and wait for the lost to come to them. But Jesus, on the other hand, is making house calls. He went to where the sick were. He reached out to them. And that's just what He did when He came to you and to me. It's also what He did when He came to many of our loved ones who are saved. And what we need... Uh, to do uh, with them is go to where they are. You and I were sick and diseased. Our lives were ruined. We were terminally ill. In fact, we were dead when he found us. But Jesus loved us in spite of our condition. He came to where we were, and he gave a blood transfusion He applied his blood to my life and your life. He washed our sins away and saved our souls. He removed our hearts of stone and gave us hearts of flesh. He made us well because he's the great physician. He specializes in healing the greatest disease ever known to man, the sin-sick soul. That's Jesus and his mission. It ought to be our mission as well but notice then Jesus and his message when Jesus answered the criticism of these men he also leveled a criticism against them but don't think they re- i don't think they recognized it Jesus tells him that his mission his ministry and his message are not just for good people uh, but for those who are bad he reminds them he did not come for those who are well but for those who are sick The scribes and the Pharisees could not see their own sins. Uh, They could see the faults of everyone around them. They could see uh, that they needed help as well. They believed as long as the outside was clean, the inside didn't matter. And they were dead wrong. They believed that their religious activity was enough to guarantee their salvation. Again, they were wrong. They needed to be saved just like Levi and the rest of the tax collectors, and the sinners, but until they could see their own need, they would never be saved. And if you get nothing else from what I've said already, get this, religion, and works, and righteousness, whatever, will not be enough to save you. Until you've trusted Jesus for your salvation, you are lost, and you will never be saved until you understand that truth. You know, salvation is really a simple thing. Belief in the finished work of Jesus is what's required. And yet before you can believe, you must see your need for a Savior, willing to confess your sins, willing to call on Jesus. So before you can be saved, you've got to become lost, or at least realize that you're lost, you're already lost, And so the plan of salvation is available to all to see and to admit their need of a Savior. Many, many years ago, a man by the name of William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, felt the call of the Lord to go into the streets of London, began ministering to street people, he stood in the Methodist conference meeting and requested permission from the presiding bishop to be released from his church to go into the streets and preach. The bishop heard the request and denied it, telling Booth that they would not waste a man on his, of his education and talent on the people of the streets. Upon hearing this, Booth sat down, resigned to defeat. His wife was seated in the balcony because women were not allowed on the first floor. And he stood up and she stood up and leaned over the rail, and she called to her husband and told him to listen to God, not to man. She vowed to stand with her husband against every foe. She came down from the balcony, and Booth took her by the arm, and they left the building and to go into the streets to win people to Christ. He was ready to quit. But his wife, a lady who usually stayed in the background, stepped out of the shadow and of her husband, to hold up his arms at a very critical time in his life. You know, many souls were saved and lives were changed in England and around the world because of William Booth and his wife willing to cross the line to reach the lost. And I praise the Lord that Jesus crossed the line for me. I praise the Lord today that he loved me enough to die for me on the cross. And he crossed the line for you as well. If you here this morning never been saved, you need to see your need and come to Jesus and he will save your soul. And maybe the Lord is calling you to cross the line to reach someone for his glory. You know, today would be a good day to get busy doing what he's called you to do. He wants us to take the gospel out of these church walls into places where the lost live. He wants us to reach out to them where they are. There may be some lost folks that you work with. There may be some lost neighbors in your in your area where you live. There may be some people that you meet uh, throughout the week. And they'll never come to this church until maybe you witness and and give a testimony to them about the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. I think it's time to repent of hypocrisy and ask the Lord to give us a heart like he had that day. And so as we close our service this morning, remember Jesus is still a friend of sinners. If you need a friend like Jesus, then you can come to him right now. Let's pray. Father,